Hello and welcome to Media Made, the, sh the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Rod, and I'm joined by my wife, Jess, and uh, this is uh, episode two of Media Made. Uh, we will be looking at the music of 1985. If you're new to the show, if you didn't listen to episode one, uh, what we do here is we take a look at a list of a certain type of media released on a certain year. In this case, we looked at all of the music albums released in the year 1985, mm -hmm. and we determine which one each of us had listened to the most. Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of reveals certain things about our personality, <laughs> our upbringing, uh, our taste. Yeah. It, it was like a fun couples experiment at first, but, you know, we hope that in participating with us, you'll perhaps be compelled to do it yourself. And, yeah. And learn more about yourself, what it is that your taste is built upon, you know. So, here we are in the... Grand old year of 1985, Ronald Reagan, the peak of his powers. <laughs> um, MTV pioneering a new, a new age for music. Yeah. <laughs> MTV also at the peak of its prime. No. Well. You know, MTV. It was its own thing back then. Uh, it was an infant. It was a small baby. Video killed the radio star. Uh, oh yeah, it's the 80s. I'm bad with time. <laughs> so yeah, that's what we did. We, we've got two albums, one for me and one for her. Music that we've uh, listened to the most yeah. in 85. Uh, now, music music's a little different from, from movies and, and TV. Now, if you, if you listen to episode one, uh, we talked about the movies in 1985 that we've seen the most. Mm -hmm. uh, mine was Back to the Future. Mine was Better Off Dead, which was the better movie. Uh, you know, uh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if you want to hear about our our thoughts on those movies, head on back and listen to episode one. Um, but the thing with music, because an album is comprised of a, a group of songs, um, there's no guarantee that you've heard an album all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, the way music is released, uh, sometimes you get a, you've only heard a few songs off the album on the radio uh, with singles and such. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, sometimes it takes a very special album for you to have to hear all the way through. Yeah, an album that moves you to make a purchase, right, <laughs> a right. full purchase. And, and, and we're, you know, we're not old, but we're getting there. <laughs> we, we You're were, getting there. We remember the days where we could uh, walk into a record store and... <laughs> a CD store, stop a, making me older than I am. We walk into a CD store, buy a CD that we're interested in, pop it in on the car stereo and listen to it. Yeah. Um, or cassette tape. <laughs> oh, I actually did have quite a few cassettes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, you know, the, the very very likely there will be years where, yeah, we've listened to the whole album all the way through multiple times, mm -hmm. and that's why it, it wins. is. That's why we're talking about it today. Uh, and there will be other times where um, the our album of the year is an album that we've heard uh, six songs of. <laughs> six know. of the 16. <laughs> yeah, it, it really depends. It's kind of a toss-up. So, the, like, the rules that we set in place, it's like, if we've listened to an album from start to finish, every single song, that one automatically beats any album we listen to where we've only heard a portion of the songs. Yeah, but even if we've heard those songs more than we've heard the entire album of the other thing. Exactly. So like, I've listened to Ed Sheeran's Move That Thing. That's not a title of a song. 50 times, but if I've listened to the whole album of Katy Perry only once, Katy Perry wins. Right. So what happens is if we've listened to an album multiple times and we've listened to another album multiple times, like all the way through... Um, those albums are now competing. Yeah. And they're not competing with the albums where you've only heard a certain portion of the songs. Yeah. So th Makes that's really how it works. <laughs> uh, 
this episode. Um, I'm glad to say we've listened to the, the albums all the way through. Yeah. So let's get started with my album of uh, 1985, released July 12th, 1985, their debut album and a seminal record in the thrash metal genre. We have Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good by Megadeth. Is this uh, what you expected to hear when I said thrash metal? (laughs) Yes. No. (laughs) I already was ready to thrash, and instead I'm just doing a little shoulder bop. You understand, metal is not... it's, It's not a childish genre. It's it's very sophisticated. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you'll have like a, a you know a, a piano melody, a movement to get you in the mood mm-hmm. before you start headbanging, like with this song. So this is the first song on the album "Killing Is My Business" and "Business Is Good" by Megadeth. Um, the song is called "Last Rites Slash Loved to Death." Death spelled D-E-T-H. Death. And here we go. So that's that's the metal you were probably come to you know you, you came to listen to, um, Megadeth. Megadeth. Have you had you ever heard of Megadeth before dating me? I mean, I'm sure I heard the name, but no, cognitively there was no like Megadeth. No, absolutely. Yeah. So an interesting thing about um, this exercise is in like seeing my album versus her album mm-hmm. is that um, we see the the the. The dichotomy between us. <laughs> you know, the polar opposites of our tastes in some respects. Yeah. Um, as we look at music, which is probably where we differ the most. Yeah. <laughs> you know, m- movies, uh, our movies were both teen comedies from 1985. Uh, this one... Nope. No no similarity. There is no common ground here. How it works with music, it's, it's how it's mostly going to look, I will ex- be exploring, especially in the 80s and early 90s, I will be exploring the more rock and metal sphere of music mm-hmm. whereas she's more of the pop and r&b, R&B. yeah yeah um and, and and nothing says that more than this episode 1985 <laughs> anyway we're talking megadeth mm-hmm. megadeth is one of the big four in thrash metal thrash is a subgenre of the metal genre i'll talk a little bit about metal how you know how it grew into where we are today um but can you name the big four of thrash metal. Megadeth. Got one. <laughs> Got the giveaway. Um, no, that's progressive. Um, Metallica? You got it. That's two. Ay- Metallica. Okay. Um, Crazy Train? Uh, that is not a band. Well, it, it probably is a band, but that's not a... Ozzy... Oz- Ozzy Osbourne is not one. No. Mm. You got one more, sh- one, more, one more guess. Those people who dressed in leather and then there was a lot of leather daddies in the world? Uh, that is Judas Priest. Judas Priest. They are not, Dang they, it. They are not thrash metal. So, big four are. You got, you got two of them. Leather daddy. Leather daddy. He, he, he is a leather daddy. He's the original leather daddy. He is. Um, <laughs> shout out to Rob Halford of, of Judas Priest. Um, you got two, Megadeth, Metallica. The right. other two are Slayer. Oh, okay, okay. And Anthrax. Ah. So, um... <laughs> yeah, those are the pioneers of thrash metal. Deep shrug. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, in terms of, like, what invaded my sphere first, um, I had heard Metallica songs first in mm-hmm. my life. Now, I, I, I was... I, I didn't grow up a huge music fan. Um, 
I remember like the first music that I enjoyed listening to when I was a child was uh, Radio Disney yeah. and boy bands, like <laughs> NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Um, I was bullied out of listening to those things in like third grade and wrote off music altogether. I said, forget it. No music. No music. Music sucks. Yeah, I hate all music. Um, of course, you can't live a life where you hate all music. It just... There's something for everyone out there. Yeah, exactly. And it turns and out the thing you, for me was classic thrashing. rock and metal. <laughs> um, so in, in in around high school, late middle school, I started listening to uh, classic rock radio, hard rock radio. And uh, the, the radio stations that I just happened to listen to played a lot more Metallica than any of the other big four thrash metal bands. And mm-hmm. I think that's just because Metallica is more radio friendly. Um, I agree. <laughs> you've heard Metallica songs, I assume. I also assume. <laughs> um, yeah, j- just by the nature of things, Metallica gets played on the radio more often than your other, than your Slayer, certainly. Um, it's, it's just the way it is. Like, you've heard Enter Sandman. Right? Yes, I have. Yeah. That's Metallica. That is Metallica. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as I was kind of growing and, and building my, my knowledge of music, um, Metallica was like my one, uh, my foot in the pool of, of metal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, I, I'm guessing sophomore year of high school, I wanted to, you know, expand a little bit. I wanted to hear what other stuff was out there. There were, I would say, two things that shaped my music taste um, during that period. Mm-hmm. And they were both video games. Uh. <laughs> one was the Grand Theft Auto series. <laughs> uh, that, that one, will, you know, we may come back to later uh, in a future episode. The second one was the Guitar Hero slash Rock Band video game series. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rock, or, sorry, Guitar Hero 2 was the first Guitar Hero game I ever played. It had a, a wide variety of, of rock music in it. Mm. Uh, you know, classic rock, new rock. Nickelback. Nickel, I, I don't, they didn't have Nickelback. <laughs> they, there's probably Nickelback in one of those games, <laughs> I assume. Um, but... And, you know, of course it had heavy metal. Mm -hmm. And heavy metal were actually, like, the hardest songs to play in Guitar Hero. Because the guitars are uh, crazy. Mm, Yeah, yeah. You don't don't write a heavy metal solo to make it easy to play. (laughs) Um, And the Megadeth song that was on Guitar Hero 2 is called Hangar 18. um, And that was the first Megadeth song I ever heard. And uh, it's a pretty good song. I didn't, I wasn't, like... Oh yeah, I gotta have that song right now. But it, it was it was good enough to stay in my brain. So come sophomore year of high school, when I'm asking my friends, "Hey, what albums do you have, or what can I borrow? What can I? What CDs can I rip, bro?" <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my friends said, "Hey, I've got a bunch of uh, Megadeth CDs. Uh, I can burn you like a, a best of if you want." <laughs> so he burned me a mix CD of Megadeth hits. Tell him that you're mine. I'm the only one who can make you mix CDs. <laughs> no, just- it was, it was purely platonic between him and me. <laughs> so I, I gave that album a listen and I soon came to realize, huh, I like Megadeth more than I like Metallica. Hmm. By and large. Uh, I, I think there's pros and cons for both, but it just so happens that in general, I like Megadeth songs more than I liked Metallica songs. Megadeth. Megadeth. Um, and, and then uh, another friend of mine, um, he said, hey, I have their debut album. You should listen to it for this one song. And we'll get to that one song. I will, I will mention what it is when we listen to it. Um, but he, he let me borrow Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. 
Ah. And that was the first Megadeth song. Or Sorry, that, that was the first Megadeth album. You listened I, to fully. I, I listened to it all the way through. Um, for the most part, I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about what I did enjoy. It just so happens to be, coincidentally, the same song he wanted me to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, let's, <clears throat> let's talk about the history of Megadeth before we go in. In the history of heavy metal in general. Okay. I think it's important to understand where we are in music history and, in, in, you know... When we talk about this album in context. Mm-hmm. So, heavy metal, as a genre, has its roots in late 60s, early 70s hard rock, you know. The the, the term heavy metal came from the Steppenwolf song, uh, Born to be Wild. Mm-hmm. You know, heavy metal thunder. Oh. Yeah, you never heard that? No. You know, Born to be Wild. Uh, yes. Yes, that That song. is the only portion of that song that I recognize. <laughs> There is a, a verse in the song called Heavy Metal Thunder, and I guess people just attributed like kind of like the hard riff-based bluesy rock to heavy metal. Okay. Um, there are other pioneers, um, uh, Led Zeppelin, for example, uh, uh, Deep Purple, who would be pioneers of hard rock that would soon be known as heavy metal, but the true godfathers of heavy metal were Black Sabbath. Mm. They were a bunch of British dudes, working class British dudes, living in... I believe Birmingham, um, they started up a rock band and their gimmick was, hey, people go to the movie theater to watch horror movies. Why don't we make horror music? <laughs> scary music. Because these guys were like interested in, in, in scary movies and the occult and demonology and all this crazy stuff. So they're like, yeah, let's just write music about stuff we're interested in and scare people. That's that's our gimmick. And it took off. It, it, it did. So that that's sense. Black Sabbath. Bands started kind of taking what they built and, and adding to it, heavy metal throughout the 70s would get merged in with other genres. So you got like kind of a punk influence with uh, Motorhead. Mm-hmm. Um, with Judas Priest, you've got more of like the psychedelic um, and, and even like... Uh, Leather Daddy feel. <laughs> yeah, that came a little later. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, at first it was like psychedelic. And then second, <laughs> it was more like... Um, operatic singing right mm. the leather daddy rob halford had like a very high vocal range so he's like ah. yeah <laughs> um and so by the the turn of the the decade leading into 1980 um you had a a period in time called the second wave of british heavy metal mm-hmm. okay uh that is groups like judas priest groups like iron maiden um, and a bunch of other bands that were taking what was built in the 70s and adding to it, adding their own spin on it. And there was a bunch of them. And they all came out and they all had moderate success, <laughs> some more than others. Drew mm. Priest and Iron Maiden are like the, the two pillars of that era, right? Um, so that that's the British side of things, right? Mm-hmm. Have you in, in the early 80s, like the Brits were, <laughs> they were leading the charge on the heavy metal scene. Okay. Let's look at the American side of American heavy metal at the time. So the biggest names in American heavy metal that I, I would consider the most important would be Van Halen. Okay. And um, uh, uh, Motley Crue. I know both of those names. Yes. So the, the, the thing is with Van, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen is an ama- amazing guitar player. Like they had a lot of swagger. Um, a Kiss is also another one of those groups. Okay, yeah, yeah. I would say Kiss is also like a huge, like in terms of the, the American side of heavy metal. Um, there was a lot of like swagger and, and, and fun with that type of heavy metal. Um, I've heard that Van Halen 
in the early 80s, they were referred to as teeth metal because they were metalheads that smiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. Oh, I want to pinch their Van Halen cheeks. So for them, it was like less about scary movies and the occult and demons and more about having a good time, chasing the chicks, uh, um, getting drunk and, and high and, and having a good old time, you know. It sounds was like, a, like so good. Yeah, it was more about the wild, like, wild lifestyle. It was very much more American. Yes. <laughs> Occult and old-timey things. Yeah, the UK that's surrounded by old architecture and great scary stories and the and Tower sulf- of Britain. sulfur. America. Let's chase what we want. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Like that. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. And they had a, they had huge success. Van Halen in the early 80s, were, they were on top. Motley Crue, they were huge. But there was an underground germ in, like, American cities. Like, these, there were, like, there were up-and-coming musicians that were huge fans of the British heavy metal scene that felt like the American scene was not uh, honoring, I guess, you know. Okay. They felt like Especially bands like Motley Crue, who are embracing like the glam mm. uh, look, <laughs> kind of like the androgynous hair uh, rock, hair metal. Yeah, hair yeah. Metal. so like so we had teeth metal and hair metal. Well, ha- hair metal is what historically we refer to it. I guess okay. at first it was called teeth metal, and it, we now refer to it as hair metal. Got it. Right? So <laughs> you had these underground groups who hated glam metal, hair metal. They mm. thought it was like wussy stuff. You mm. know, it's not. It's not heavy it's not they metal has lost its edge yeah and so you had these groups and they said we're gonna we're gonna start a revolution we're gonna be in a we're gonna like get metal back to its roots and we're gonna we're gonna lead the charge on it Mm. okay and that's how you got thrash metal thrash metal was born in that environment um there metallica um lars ulrich the drummer told a story that they, the band Metallica is walking down like Sunset Strip in Los Angeles one, one night and they see Motley Crue getting out of a, out of a limo. I don't know if they're going to a, a show or they're going to go to a strip club or whatever it is. Metallica had beers in their hand and they just chucked beers at Motley Crue. And Motley Crue like chased them down the street. <laughs> Good job, Motley Crue. Let's not start bar fights on the streets. <laughs> yeah, so they, they thought Metallica was like these young punks, you know. Which they were. They, they were young punks, <laughs> yeah. So... That's thrash metal. It was, we want to be gritty and fast, aggressive. Um, fast enough to run away from Motley <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we run fast, we want to play fast. Um, and we don't want to boggle it down with these frills like the, the big names are in America right mm-hmm. now. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know if necessarily thrash metal was responding to this trend, but it is a coincidence. Like, by 1985... The big names of the British heavy metal scene, Iron Maiden and, and Judas Priest, mm-hmm. had recently released music more inspired by, like, they, they in, incorporated synthesizers into mm. their music, which is like a big no-no if you want traditional heavy metal. Yeah. It's like, they were bending to, like, the, the trends at the time. Yeah. Rather than keeping the traditional metal sound um, and being, you know, hard and aggressive and mean, <laughs> um, they were a little bit more light and poppy. Right? Yeah. So it, it's just interesting that, like, the, the the second wave of British heavy metal, those guys started to get a little soft. Mm. Right as you've got all these young and up-and-coming bands who want to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> we have been betrayed by our forefathers. Yeah. Um, the term thrash metal 
was actually first used uh, in the music press magazine Kerrang. Yeah. That sounds like a sound effect. Kerrang. <laughs> it does have an exclamation point. Ah, it just yeah. sounds like you threw a wrench and it hit something metal. So anyway, journalist Malcolm Dome uh, made a reference to the Anthrax song Metal Thrashing Mad mm-hmm. and just started calling that type of music thrash metal based oh, okay. on that song. Uh, prior to this, Metallica frontman James Hetfield referred to his band's sound as speed metal or power metal. Hmm. Um, power metal has actually come to mean something different. Yeah, it's like I, I've heard that term. Yeah, it, it's it, it's contemporarily it, it's something different. It's more hmm. like uh, Dragon Force's power metal. Okay, uh, but that's neither here nor here nor there. Thrash metal just became to, came to be known as what these guys were doing. You got the big four. That's thrash metal. Oh, all right. Okay. So, we're going to talk Megadeth. Okay. Led by frontman and lead guitarist Dave Mustaine, Megadeth is one of the pioneering pioneering bands in thrash metal. Before forming Megadeth, Mustaine joined the fledgling metal band Metallica in 1981. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot of incest with these big four thrash metal bands. Musest. Music-cest. Band-cest. Yes. Um, however, due to his drug and alcohol problems and his abrasive attitude, he was too hard for Metallica. <laughs> he was kicked out. Well. Fired from the band in 1983 um, during the recording of their first album, Kill 'em All. Kill 'em All was released in 83. Um, Mustaine was, he wrote a few songs that actually ended up on that album, but he was fired from the band while they were recording it. Hmm. And uh, basically, he said, They don't want me. That's fine. I'll be competition. Yeah, exactly. I'll do it better than them. Huh? I think that's actually really funny. Yeah. The fact that you were like, yeah, I listened to Metallica and they were great. And then I listened to Megadeth and I was like, they're better. And so you agree yeah, with it. Dave Mustaine proved me. <laughs> proved me right. <laughs> or I proved him right. Proved him right. Like, yeah, you're right. You're doing it better. Um, Mustaine later recalled, quote, after getting fired from Metallica, all I remember is that I wanted blood. Theirs. I wanted to be faster and heavier than that. <laughs> So it's a it's a band built on revenge. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. Um, Mustaine formed Megadeth and developed a lineup throughout 1983 and 1984, cycling through several musicians before settling on the quartet that we hear on this album. Okay. One of the people that he used in his band while he was trying to figure out the the, the final lineup was Carrie King, who ended up being the guitar player in Slayer. Huh. Okay. Incest. <laughs> And then Mustaine actually ended up taking up vocal duties himself after a string of unsuccessful musician, uh, unsuccessful auditions by other vocalists. Yeah. So the voice you hear on Megadeth albums is the lead guitar player, too. Nice. And then at the beginning of 1985, the band was given an $8,000 contract by Combat Records to record and produce its debut album. The band was forced to fire their original producer and produce the album themselves after spending half the album's budget on drugs, alcohol, and food. Wow. (laughs) As Mr. Strickler from Back to the Future would say... They spent $4,000? They're a bunch of slackers. They're a bunch of slackers. (laughs) Oh, and then... I just... It's... That's so stereotypical. That's the attitude that built thrash metal. Uh... (laughs) It's a bunch of young, like... Lazy dudes who just want to get drunk and high all day. Occasionally. And eat pizza, I assume. And then fire someone who is counting on this job. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this album. Let's listen to it. 
So we, we, we played for you the song Last Rites, Love to Death, mm-hmm. which opened with uh, an interpretation of J.S. Bach's Toccata and Fig- Fugu in D minor. Mm. Fugue? Yes. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a classical music guy. I'm just saying, they opened with Bach. So, an interesting thing about heavy metal, it's, it is all about attitude and, and aggressiveness and, and angst. Mm. It's also very pretentious and nerdy. It's true. Um, heavy metal musicians, by and large, are very nerdy people. <laughs> you hear this in Iron Maiden. They love to write about history. Yeah. And their, their favorite sci-fi television shows. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, yeah. it's in line that they use Bach to open their the first song on their debut album. Yeah, exactly. Their, their grimy, dirty song. <laughs> like... It's almost like I'm gonna play that 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 transition again, where it goes from from uh, Bach to Bach bashing, to, Bach, to, <laughs> Bach to thrash, Bach to banging. Yeah, it's got the electric guitar in there as well. And I can hear the classical influence in yeah. his guitar, like. Um, by this time, heavy metal, like, people were trying to basically outdo other musicians. They were trying to say, I can play faster and better than you. I can be more technical and fast. Yeah. So, yeah, you got that Bach transitioning right into this. Wait, there it goes. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's such an abrupt transition, yeah, it's too. it's like bipolar. Uh. Um... So tell me, what did you think of uh, Last Rites, Love to Death? <sighs> See, here's the thing. Wow! You and I listen to music very differently. Uh-huh. I listen for lyrics if I'm really listening to something. I usually listen to a thing more than often, more often than not, because I'm liking what it's saying and not necessarily hearing so much the musicality of it. Okay. Do you know what this song is about? Um, I, From what I can gather, it's a love song. Mm. Oh, is it? <laughs> Mustaine said this is his version of a love song. Okay, I can definitely see where love gone very, very wrong. <laughs> so, the song is essentially about um, someone who loves someone else who is in this attributed death. They're called death. D-E-T-H. That's the, that's the girl? That's the girl. Oh, okay. I, 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 yeah, a male is singing, so that is... The girl, I believe. Okay. Um, and basically, it start it starts off. Whoa, oh, your body is empty now. As I hold you, now you're gone. I miss you, but I told you, he kills this girl. It opens with it like it's not just like oh you died in my arms. Like no, when you're leaving, it's just like the after the first instrumental break, the line is if I can't have you, then no one will. Oh. And since I won't, I have to kill my only love, <laughs> something I've never felt. Now you're going to heaven and I'll burn in hell. Here, let me keep going. Because that happens. And then it says, I love you to death. I love you to death. I love you to death. Whoa. And then instrumental break. Demonic laughter is listed here as a lyric. And then, oh, and now I'm down below. What do I see? You didn't go to heaven. You're down in hell with me. And we're like, okay, well, that sucks. But it says, and now you're coming back. Baby, take me, please. I really think I would if you weren't such a sleaze. You murdered her! You murdered her! And now you're not taking her back? When she decided to come... You're both in hell? No! <laughs> Literally, saying. all I wrote down about this song was double standard. And I could only hear it in freaking um, Scott Pilgrim's voice. 
I'm just saying, it's a beautiful like way to see how how metal views the world, right? This is love through the metal lens. Oh man, I was just like, what is this? It's this like, is... hey man, how do you write a love song? That's edgy. <laughs> it's like you start with death, death middle and part. Hell. I murdered them. We're all going. Uh, Twist. We're not going to be together because a, I decided. That's so. hilarious. Um, when we get to uh, segment two with Jess's album, we'll, we'll hear a lot about other what, what the '80s. What the 80s ideal of love actually was, but I just love that this is this is the first love song we're going to listen to today. Oh, gosh. I just... Uh, ugh, it's just a, a murder-suicide song. Oh, man. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, sorry, so let's move on to the next song. Next album... Or the next... Uh, actually, I want to talk about the, the next two songs together. Oh. Uh, so the third track on Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good is The Skull Beneath My Skin. Kind of uncomfortable guitar riff there. Mm. Um, okay, so I, I take that back. It's not the next two songs. I want to talk about track three, which is The Skull Beneath the Skin, and track five, which is Rattlehead. Okay? okay. I had you listen to Rattlehead. Yes. Yes. So these two songs are actually related to Megadeth's mascot. Do you know his name? Because every good metal band has to have a mascot. It's the zombie, right? No. No, that's Iron, Eddie the Zed. Yeah, Eddie the Eddie is Iron Maiden's zombie mascot. No. Megadeth's mascot is a skeleton man with uh like he's got um he, he his mouth is sewn shut. He's got like metal clamps over his ears and metal clamps over his eyes. Okay. His name is Vic Rattlehead. Oh, okay, okay. So the song Rattlehead is an homage to him. Alright. And then the song The Skull Beneath the Skin is his origin story. Oh. Okay. I did not look it up. I, I have a feeling that Me- Megadeth, like Dave Mustaine, always wanted Vic Rattlehead to be his own comic book character. Hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushed that. Because um, <laughs> I, I think when he developed the character, he told the uh, Combat Records, hey, this is what I want my album cover to be. He, he drew a sketch of Vic Rattlehead for them. Hmm. And he's like, make it happen. Um, so let me... I, I wrote down the lyrics for for uh, the skull beneath the skin a little bit, just to explain what it is that Rattlehead's all about. Right. Locked in a pillory, nowhere to be found, screaming for your life, but no one hears a sound. Help me. Prepare the patient's scalp to peel away, metal cap his ears. He'll hear not what we say. I hate it. Solid steel visor, riveted cross his eyes, iron staples close his jaws. (laughs) So, Vic Rattlehead is actually the physical, or like the visual personification of the phrase see no evil hear no evil speak no evil okay he is a skeleton head with so mouth sewn shut he can speak no evil he's got clamps over his ears and eyes he can you know hear no evil okay. see no evil so that that's like the genesis and that's what this song is about is basically torturing a man until he becomes big rattlehead okay here's the question yeah a skeleton doesn't have lips <laughs> i get it <laughs> you, you know what i mean yeah it's uh and, and Vic Rattlehead is portrayed as, you know, in, in different uh, environments or like different themes with each album. So mm-hmm. each album has a theme. He's on the he's always on the cover, and he's doing something related to the theme. Right. Um, he's been portrayed as like a fiery angel, um, as like a government conspiracy or like a like a politician. Mm-hmm. Um, Vic Rattlehead's everywhere. Okay. 
He's everywhere. He's right behind you. He's right behind you. Do <laughs> yeah. you, you have any thoughts on Rattlehead? Um, okay, so I didn't realize that it was about... The, I literally was like... So it, it, that song is like... It's named after the character. It's mm-hmm. more like a metal anthem. Okay. It's like, hey, be like Vic Rattlehead and be a heavy metal fan. I <laughs> wrote down, is this song about mosh pitting? It sure is. <laughs> You are exactly right. I was just like, this song is just about mosh pitting. Like, that's yeah. it. This it's just... It's a battle cry for the fans. Uh, you know, it's to get them excited. This is the song you play when you gotta, when you want to get them pumped. Yeah. What, what kind of what kind of actions are described in this song? Um, winning, sinning, beginning, feeding, the needing for bleeding, bashing, <laughs> smashing, crashing, fraying, annihilating you. Yep. Don't wear no leather... To fit in. Oh, wait, holy crap! Is that a? Is that a? That's a lyric. That's a swipe at freaking Judas Priest. Oh. It's gotta be. <gasps> Leave my letter, Daddy, alone. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, don't need. Don't wear no spike to be cool and fit in. Fit in and cool or in uh, air quotes, not air quotes. Uh-huh. I'm uh, looking spike, at them. Spikes is like punks. So don't yeah. Be a punk. Uh, don't want no woman beside him. Which now makes sense. It like don't know, don't want no woman beside him. Just make it fast, loud, and rude, Rattlehead. So I will say this now makes sense because you gave me the like American metal, metal is a, ve- yeah. a very much because I legit wrote gay bar because I was like well, they're yes. mosh pitting, and I don't need no woman around. He doesn't need a woman around him. It's like is he mosh pitting at a gay bar? That was what no, my brain went to. I think you're right. It's like it's like a thesis on like what his idea of metal should be. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's. It shouldn't be about chasing ladies and, and, and having a good time, man. It's about, like, being hard and fighting and yeah. cutting and bleeding. Please don't cut. <laughs> it's about getting in a mosh pit and pushing a guy down and kicking him while he's down. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's a line, too. Yeah. Adre- you know, get your adrenaline pumping, bro. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very, like, toxic masculine idea. Oh, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's inherent oh, in heavy yeah. metal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very toxic. Oh, yeah. But you understand what, like, people get excited yeah. about it. Like, you know, why young men at the time were like, yeah, man. Was it good? Yeah, just get pumped. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is, like, perfect uh, going to the gym music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Swole Nation. You got, if you want to get pumped and lift some weights, this is the music to do it. <laughs> um, this is good uh, driving down the, like, if, if, you, if your parents make you mad <laughs> and you need to drive down the highway just to feel, <laughs> you put this music on. <laughs> And let off some steam. <laughs> That's. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah. No. I, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I would do it to Eminem. But yeah. <laughs> I do love the the way the song ends, though. It ends with this lyric here. Rattle your gosh damn. You know what I appreciate about these albums? We got. Um. The fact that the songs are. A good length. <laughs> yeah. That are are under five minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's that is true. So it's sort of like quick, fast and done. Yeah. Get just, just it's like blow your load and get out. Ugh, you know? Get in, get out, done. Yeah, that's that's literally what, what his his uh, musical philosophy was at the time. His musical preference. Alright, I wanna skip around a little bit. I wanna talk about a certain song on the album called These Boots. Uh, is that the song your friend wanted you to listen to? It sure is. Uh. Okay, so this is the, yeah, this is the song that my friend said, "Oh, you like Megadeth? Well, you should listen to their first album because he has a cover of the song These Boots Are Made for Walking." 
And that's just what they'll do, right? And he's like, but the thing is, it's filthy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So you you are you are certainly familiar with the song uh, "These Boots Are Made for Walking" by yes. Nancy Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I definitely had to do some square dancing and PE for to it. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Gross. <laughs> I had to do line dancing. We listened to like the fifties, like jazz, like that. Yeah. I think we did that song too, but we did, there was like three songs and oh three gosh. different dances that we had to learn. Ah, uh, a public service announcement. You should never make teenagers dance in high school, in gym. It's, yeah. It's degrading. That was junior high for me, oh. but still degrading. Even, it's worse. I was saying that's probably worse. <laughs> oh, uh, it was. Yeah. It's, it's degrading. It, it puts children of, of it puts everybody in a vulnerable position where they shouldn't. Either. I'm just saying. Because somebody's going to be looking around and then bullying you later. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Uh, don't do that. If you're a gym <laughs> teacher, it's wrong. Stop. Anyway, these boots. So, <laughs> let me let me get that started here. So, Dave Mustaine had uh, the good idea to say, uh, hey, I want to cover these boots, but I want to do a thrash metal version. <laughs> and I want to change the lyrics. Oh dear. Yeah, so let's uh, let's see how this starts here. Kind of, ha- so it's it's got kind of like the the hoedown like bopping beat there. Uh, he's throwing in a little bit of the guitar virtuosity, right? And here we go. We're we're into it. Thrash metal. Here we go. Going fast. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. I'm gonna skip ahead to where the lyrics start. It's like indistingu- indistinguishable from the original. Yeah. Like, I can't even. <laughs> it's like, other than the chorus, this song sounds nothing like the original. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna read some of the lyrics here. Um, <laughs> he, he changed. All the verses are different, mm. only the chorus is the same. So you got. You keep saying you got something for me. Something you call love, but I call sex. You've been kissing when you ought to be a screwing, and now someone else can come kiss your expletive. (laughs) These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. So, so, the whole song is full of these weird, these weird verses where he's just talking about sex and he's being profane and all that good stuff. Uh, Okay, so that's how the song was originally released in 1985. The problem is the song's original author. Lee Hazelwood deemed Mustaine's changes too vile and offensive, and he said that they were a perversion of the original. Right. So he demanded that the song be removed from the album, and then he threatened legal action. Huh. Um, It was only after he threatened legal action was the song removed from pressings after 1995. Oh, wow. For 10 years, this song was totally fine on the album. Then he heard it and said, nope, get it out of there. (laughs) Um, So then... So for from 1995 to 2002, the song was just not present on the album. Mm-hmm. Then in 2002, when the album was reissued, the album was reintroduced, or the sorry, the song was reintroduced to the album, but it was heavily censored. Oh gosh! And here's what it sounded like, like here's what the verses sounded like Sounds on the good. reissued version. So all the all the instrumental stuff sounds the same. Yeah. Okay, right. get to it (laughs) 
That's just, the longest censor bleep I've ever heard. It's like not even like it's so lazy. There's no effort put in. It's just <laughs> beep over everything. Oh man. And then the chorus is like unedited because it's the same as the original. Right. point right exactly and so when my friend let me borrow the cd this is the version that he had on his cd he's like hey you need to listen to it. it's it's filthy but when you listen to it it'll be completely censored it's just a long censor it's just long bleeps oh, wow. so go on youtube and listen to the original because it's hilarious oh gosh <laughs> don't do that it's like, this isn't even pleasant to listen to it's like a novelty song <laughs> It's, yeah. It's like, it's what is good. this? It's, mm, it's not good. They should have just left it off. I, I think they should have. <laughs> he, he did change that one word there. Yeah. One day these boots are gonna beep all over you. That doesn't make sense. Speculate on what he, what he bleeped. That doesn't even make sense. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Last song in the album that we're gonna, we're gonna look at in depth is the song Mechanics. Yeah. Let me get that started. Here we go. So the song's got a strong riff like the do 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 do. Okay, so uh, you you flashed me your notes just now. Mm. Uh, what was the one question you asked when you listened to the song? Dot dot dot. Is this a sex thing? Uh, and the an- the suspicious. An- the answer is yes. <laughs> it is a sex thing. Um. So. Uh, on Wikipedia, it puts it simply like this. Lyrically, the song talks about having sex at a gas station. And uh, the, the lyrics are full of innuendo. Like, um, gas station-related innuendo. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? What, what are some uh, takeaways? Uh, I don't even some know. Some double, double entendres. Just so many. You said you wanted to get your order filled. Made me shiver when I put... It in, which is not, and then pumping just won't do ya, no luckily for you. The lyrics also just don't make sense how they read. I just, uh, just, made, just the you, whole you, second yeah, verse, like, you, the whole, the, the, the chorus. You yeah. made my, you made my That's, drive shaft crank, yeah. you made my, po- uh, my pistons bulge, you made my ball bearing melt from the heat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant when I said yeah. it's the second sentence. Yeah, that's the chorus. The chorus. Uh, and then we were shifting hard when we took off. Uh, put tonight all four on the floor. Like, it's just the whole thing. It was like, when we hit the top end, you'll know you know it feels so, feels too slow. I just, yeah. the whole thing. So the secret is this is also a love song. Secret. <laughs> so love. Secret. It's a, it's a secret sex song. It's a lust song. Yeah. Uh. I. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, that that's the lyrical content of this song. Uh, it's just like full of double entendres uh, relating to having sex at a gas station. But what's more interesting about this song? It's also a revenge song. Oh. So mechanics has its roots in an earlier Metallica song that Dave Mustaine wrote, co-wrote. Hmm. And what? they. Put so on the album without they, him? They did. So he helped co-wrote at least four songs for the Metallica album Kill Em All, including a song called The Four Horsemen. Oh. It's a slower-paced version of Mechanics. Hmm. Um, I actually have them both here, so let's 
Let's uh, play it. Yeah, let me play the four horsemen for you. We'll come back to the to mechanics. Right. Do 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 do. Right. That's right. You got that verse or that? I'm sorry. That, that riff. Right. Mm-hmm. Skip ahead to the. the... Same vocal melody, mm, different yeah. lyrics, obviously. And then here's the chorus. The horses are drawing nearer. Right, okay, so same song. Go back to mechanics, I'll, I'll play the, the chorus there. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. So Dave Mustaine co-wrote that song, The Four Horsemen. They released it on Metallica's debut album. He's like, no, I wrote that song. song. It's my song. I'm going to make my own version. And it's going to be faster and harder. <laughs> and sexier. And sexier. <laughs> Definitely not sexy. <laughs> um, so it, I don't know. It's just an interesting uh, piece of metal history right there. So you've got two, two versions of the same song on the debut albums of two of the most influential metal bands of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, personally, I think The Four Horsemen is a better song. <laughs> Mechan- Mechanics is probably my favorite song on the album uh, for Megadeth, but Metallica's version is better, still. Um, they they put in some more like instrumental sections. Mm-hmm. Um, they let the guitar the guitarist kind of go off and do like this like like movement with like a longer solo. Um, I remember back in the day of like early YouTube mm-hmm. when uh, I was young enough to argue about music on on YouTube's comment sections. <laughs> um, some guy had done like a like back to back comparison of "Kill 'Em All" by Metallica and "Killing Is My Business" by uh, by Megadeth. And in the comments, like I was arguing with people, and like the main consensus amongst us all after we argued, we hashed it out. We we had. We had civil discourse. Nice. <laughs> a thing you've never seen in YouTube comments. Right. We we came to the consensus that Metallica released the better album as a whole, but Dave Mustaine was the better guitar player. Like, pure skill. Got it. The problem is, like, he's not a better songwriter. Yeah. So it's like, the man can shred. Listen to me. Let's, let's, let's listen to the guitar solo. Listen to it. He's just going for it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one of the things that I appreciate about heavy metal is just like the the, the instrumentality of it, mm-hmm. the just the pure skill. Yeah, that that's is. a that's a speed and dexterity that I can never dream to have. That's very true. Yeah. So uh, let's talk. Let's talk reception of this album. How was it received by me? No, by, by <laughs> the general public. We'll talk about you in a second. I'm we'll, a general. No, well, public. tell us. Tell us. What did you think of the album as a whole? Um, not my cup of. <laughs> it just you know. How does it stand up to the other metal albums that you've listened to or or, or heard? It stands in line. <laughs> could you could you nope? So, if no, you say pick it pick it no, out no, of no, the no, lineup. No. I was gonna say. Here's a question. You've heard like Metallica songs on the radio. Could you imagine any of these songs being played on the radio? Here's the thing. I feel like people who listen to metal and it's put on radios. And if I'm wrong, and you're one of these people, I'm wrong. That's perfectly fine. This is a personal opinion. 
don't listen to the lyrics. So it doesn't matter what you play for the most part. Like you're mm. not going to put Megadeth's version of these boots are made for walking on the radio. Yeah. But I'm like, for the most part, I'm like thinking like lyric, like guitar wise, like, oh yeah, I could hear but everything sounds the same to me because I am not discerning. I'm not saying they are the same. I'm saying that I'm a bad music listener. I, I in my opinion, this music, I think is a little too extreme for, for, for radio. Okay. Metallica writes songs that are a little bit more radio friendly. Not maybe not. That's the thing. Like lyrics is one thing. I'm just saying like the sound of it. Like this is just too fast. Like like mm. the 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 school teacher from Back to the Future. I'm afraid you guys are just too darn loud. <laughs> you know. Um, so this I can is, um, so Metallica he, is commercial as heck. Yeah. Not not. <laughs> in some respects, yeah. And and to some people that's a positive, and some people that's a negative. Mm-hmm. It really depends. But yeah, it's like. In, in a lot of ways, Megadeth songs are only going to be played on the radio if, like, after 10 p.m. on the hard rock station. Mm. You know, like, late at night for, like, the, you know... The when the censors are asleep. Yeah. When SMP is in their pajamas. All right, so let me wrap things up with just a few notes about how this album was received by metal audiences and audiences in general. Uh, so the album went on to become one of Combat Records' highest-selling releases at the time. Um, speaking about the intensity of the album, um, the guitarist David Elfson, mm-hmm. he said that oh, although he considers the album a solid debut release, he wanted some of the songs to be recorded at a slower tempo. Mm-hmm. So looking back, he was like, yeah, we were just going too dang fast. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. I wonder if he'd do like a cover, if they would do like a cover slow down or something. I mean, at this point, you could just listen, have the audio and take it back a step to see what it would look like. Maybe. Some journalists uh, accused the album of promoting Satanism, as was the style at the time. (laughs) Um, A lot of, we, uh, at the time, Congress was coming down hard on hard rock heavy metal, saying that it wasn't good for the kids to listen to. Mm -hmm. This was right before they developed the... um, Parental stickers. The the parental advisory stickers that you slapped on your album if it had inappropriate material on it. So, one... The album does not promote Satanism. True. In fact, uh, Mustaine had said that he, the band consciously kept away from Satanic images. Hmm. Quote, I mean, it's great to thrash and pound, cut yourself up, scream and have fun, but you don't have to take a pagan attitude. Why support the devil? He's already there. I'd rather just freaking thrash and be a metalist and listen to whatever I want than to be forced to listen to one style of music. (laughs) Okay. Yes. It's like, hey man, what's the devil got to do with it? <laughs> um, so anyway, that's Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good by Megadeth. We're going to go to break with Mechanics. We'll let you listen to that. And we'll be back with Jess's album from Messages. Listen up, you brain dead mongers. You want to be metalheads, you gotta listen to the right metal, right? Okay, here's your basic training. Now pay attention, pus. My name is Major Mayhem, and it's my job to turn you wimps into proper combat metal troops, no matter how sniveling and weak you are. Okay, now that we have that straight, grab these combat discs and stick them between your ears. You got venom possessed. 
Exodus bonded by blood, and Slayer, hell awaits. This here's the Death Metal Squadron. Ride with these guys, and the devil is your co-pilot. Now these next guys you don't want to mess with. The Combat Rangers. Megadeth, killing is my business. Abattoir, vicious attack. And sabotage dungeons. If there's a dirty job to be done, you send in the Rangers, and pray to God you live. Okay, Pinheads, that's your basic training in combat metal. You can thank your lucky stars you've trained your ears with the finest metal outfit in the whole US of A. Combat records. Your next phase of training will include Exciter, Possessed, Thrasher, Running Wild, Hollow's Eve, Nasty Savage, and the Dangerous Agent Steel. Remember, bang your head till you're dead. Dismissed! And we're back. We're coming in with the song "How Will I How Will I Know" by who? Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. We're listening to Whitney Houston because released February fourteenth, Valentine's Day, oh. nineteen eighty-five. Her self-titled debut, one of the greatest albums of all time. Quote: <laughs> Whitney Houston's Whitney Houston. Hey. Right, tell, <laughs> tell me about Whitney Houston. Why? Uh, why is this your album? Why is this my album? Um, <laughs> How will I know that this is your album? <laughs> Honestly, it's hard to like be around my people and not hear Whitney. Like, oh yeah, let's let's get this out of the way. Uh, J- Jess is black. I'm black. Yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. I am a black woman. Um, so there are a lot of albums that we're going to listen to that I listen to specifically because I am from a black family. Yeah, I'm predominantly um, white. Um, in case you didn't know from the angry heavy metals talk. You know. <laughs> <laughs> a white kid from the suburbs just wanting to rebel. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I, this is definitely my album of the year. I've heard most of the songs off of it. I actually have the vinyl of it um, because, you know. I was there was when cheap. you bought that vinyl. <laughs> so, yeah, I listened to a lot of Whitney Houston in my day. Um, sitting in the backseat of the car. Fighting with my sisters when my mom turns around and says, I won't turn us back because we got stuff to do, but I will smack you. (laughs) If I remember right, when we went to the record store, we actually went to a record store this time. Right. Uh, Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because they're hip now. You picked up that record and and I think you had said, like, it like appealed to you. Like, did did you? Yeah, specifically, I was like, I was just like, ooh, I really like this. This has a lot of songs. I had just gotten a. um, Like a mini record player? Yes, a mini uh, portable record player. And it was like one of the things I was like, I want to spend more time with my mom, and I think that she would really like this. And I picked up a bunch of albums that I was like, this will be a joy to Albums that reminded you of your mom? Yes, basically. Albums that reminded me of my mom. And that's why we have Whitney Houston's Whitney. Uh, I. I think. I'm pretty sure the song we're listening to right now is the first Whitney Houston song I ever heard. Huh. Um, and it was... So, it was featured in a VH1 countdown show, like, Greatest Songs of the 80s. Oh, and okay. this was, like, obviously in the top ten, I assume. Um, and, and that was it, you know. And I, I remember watching that as a teenager and be like, 
Oh yeah, this is like a fun little poppy song, you know, and, and uh, I, we went our separate ways and I didn't really care too much about Whitney Houston until uh, here we are. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate it. I think it's a great song. I think she's got some great hits on this album. Yeah, uh, she's got great vocals. Like, yeah. she was the queen of it for, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember she died. <laughs> That's... That is my whole relation with Whitney Houston. Yeah, he's like, I remember hearing her song and I'm like, That's, yeah, yeah, this is cool. Oh, she's dead now. <laughs> Oh, oh, and and I, <laughs> I feel bad that my 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 memories, most of my memories of Whitney Houston are are uh, sad. But I remember the clip of her speaking about crack. Yeah, doing an interview where she said crack is whack and crack is cheap. Yeah, that's why you shouldn't do crack because it's cheap. Oh, the meme ability. Yeah, we we love you, Whitney. We do. So, uh, Whitney Houston, Whitney Elizabeth Houston was born August 9th, 1963 in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, no, uh, she uh, she was 22 when this album released. Mm. She was she was young. 22. Yeah. At the age of 11, Houston started performing as a soloist in the Junior Gospel Choir at the New Hope Baptist Church in Newark. Uh, her mother was a well-regarded gospel singer in her time, uh, where uh, she also played uh, piano. Hmm. So uh, it would, I don't know. I can definitely hear the gospel influence in her music. Yeah, I think especially in most of the early stuff that we're going to hear, like this is like when the movement is moving, like for a lot of black artists, R&B and, and pop is moving from more gospelly sound to like other things. But yeah, there's definitely all that very, very heavy influence. Yeah, yeah. Um, in her teens, she performed backup vocals for big names like Lou Rawls and Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. You said her name wrong again. You need to explain this joke here on microphone. So she insists that Shaka Khan's name is not Shaka Khan. It's it is... pronounced Charlie Chen. Why? Because say I that? say so. It's just, it's just a running joke that she won't like let up on. So she insists that we call Shaka Khan Charlie Chen. Charlie Chen, Charlie Chen, Charlie Chen, Charlie Chen. So if you ever hear us say the name Charlie Chen, I mean Shaka Khan and Rufus. <laughs> she left Rufus. Whitney worked as a model. In the early 80s. That makes sense because she was gorgeous. She was, she was a very pretty lady. Um, and then in 1983, Jerry Griffith, an A&R representative from Arista Records, saw Houston performing with her mother in a New York City nightclub. He was convinced, um, like, he saw the performance and he was like, yes, I need to sign that woman. Mm -hmm. um, and so he convinced the record label head, Clive Davis, to make time to see her perform. Davis was impressed and immediately offered her a worldwide record contract. Which she, which she then signed was like off to the races. Goodness. Yeah. I'm just a golf clap like, for Whitney. Like Yeah, I was like that she she made it happen. Oh my gosh. That's that's pure it, talent. And it wasn't even like nepotism, even though her like like maybe like obviously her, the fact that her mom was famous and was able to give her a platform to sing on, mm -hmm. that she got the record deal on based her own on her own talent. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Good job, Whitney. And, and then uh before the album came out, she was famous for doing a few guest vocals on some bigger artists albums and we'll talk about those people she also performed uh this the the song home from the musical the whiz oh oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah i've never yeah. seen the whiz oh, so. we need to fix that you have to see the whiz like it's so beautiful and amazing but also nightmare fuel for young jess <laughs> but it, you know I, I i'm not against it we're I gonna do it. it watch it have a movie night where we watch adaptations of the wizard of Oz. Absolutely not. Watch uh, Tin Man from Sci-Fi. I love Tin Man. Nobody likes it. Guys, stand Tin Man from Sci-Fi. It's such good 
like derivative work. Just do it. Tinman. Tinman. And then we also go and see uh, Wicked. Yeah. Um, so we we've, we'll, we'll, let's jump into the album here. Uh, we've already talked about How Will I Know. It's not the first track on the album. It is actually the sixth. Um, fun fact, that song was not originally intended for Whitney Houston. Do you know? You want to take a guess on who it was written for? I'm sorry, my brain said Kylo Ren. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Driver. You're right, it was him. <laughs> I'm sorry, who was it written for? <laughs> um, it was written for Janet Jackson. Oh! And she declined. Well... She, Fair. <laughs> she passed on it, and it was like, well, we wrote it for her. Who are we going to give it to? And they were like, Whitney. Whitney, you can do it. Because you can do anything. You can do anything. So anyway, let's let's hop into the first track. First track on the album is You Give Good Love. You Give Good Love. Which uh, I think contends with Love to Death as being the best love song of the 1980s. Or 1985. That was a joke. Ha 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 ha. Megadeth's Love, love to Death. No. Better love song than this one? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, uh, here we go. We got some... Like, this is, a, this is a much more, like, you know, soulful R&B track right here. This is not quite the pop single, but... I, I, I do love that, like... Yeah. Like, I love that, like, that, like, bass, like... Sorry. Anyway, it's, a, it's, it's definitely... A, a, like, I don't think it's necessarily, like, a strong, like, album opener... Mm. See, I think the art of the album is like being able to arrange your tracks mm-hmm. where they tell a story all their own. Like the, the the songs don't have to connect thematically, but they have to like have like you know, <laughs> she's dancing. I'm listening to you. I was gonna say the the uh, <laughs> the album has to like rise and fall in like you know kind of good beats. I feel like mm-hmm. this song is a little too slow to start the album. If it was up to me, I would have started with. How will I know? Yeah. Get people excited and ready to go, and then you go into the song. It's, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. You give good love. Is this a sex thing? Uh, perhaps. <laughs> um, I was gonna, I, I agree with what you're saying about how to arrange an album. I think about it when I was doing, like, uh, dance shows and stuff, like, when you're doing huge, like, compilation mm-hmm. things, performances, even when I was producing <laughs> that yeah. show, um... You want to, like, start your uh, opening and your ending want to be, like, big, memorable numbers. Yeah. And you want to work everything in between. Because this right. is the first thing, like, if somebody's going to walk away or not, you know? So, I... But I think, like, it's also, like, people probably picked up this album after hearing the singles on the radio. True. I- I'm thinking, like, what's the first impression? Like, if, if you're a record company, right? Mm-hmm. What's And you've got Whitney Houston. What's the first impression you want to give your listeners about Whitney? Like, it's like I want to hey, show her vocal range. It's like, hey, here's this is. It's like you want to know who Whitney Houston is. This is Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. and you. And I think you're right. Yeah, it's vocal range, and this yeah. song, I think, it it does a good job she of demonstrating. Good of melody, but yeah. like we know she can hit these notes, and not maybe this yeah. is like maybe she's 22 here. Maybe we need a couple of years before she can hit those high Dolly Parton notes. You know, yeah, yeah. but um. I don't know. I, yeah, but also I think like what was trending at the time, right? So like this is probably more in line of the slow jams that were doing better. Yeah. So they opened it that way, and I and can that, I guess see that reasoning. But and that's the thing. I'm like ne- I'm less learned on like the the eighties R and B, you know. So it's like I, I guess you know people were like into this like this mm-hmm. jam here, you know, like yeah. being able to sway. Yeah, I'm, I'm more into like the. Because she, this songs. because this is R and B and not pop. Pop is different, right? right. So R and B is supposed to be rhythmic, bluesy. So if this is what you're looking for, 
um, yeah, it's like a jam that you can like, I have not stopped swaying. (laughs) You know? So you asked if this song is a sex thing. (laughs) Let me, let me, let me list a fact for you. This was among several songs cited by advice columnists and Landers as having suggestive titles. Landers in a column for a reader who worried that the, about the bad influence of song lyrics on children, which was the trend at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a big conversation. What's appropriate for children? Right. We have Prince to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Prince. Yeah, anyway, in her column, she wrote that, quote, some of the lyrics are sexually provocative. The titles tell a story. And she called the songs pretty trashy stuff. Oh. Yeah. Whitney Trashy? <laughs> Step off. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm just saying, you know, there's, there's definitely some, some, uh, some sizzle in there. Yeah. But like, when you're reading the lyrics, it's just saying like, hey, you love me well, not sex me well. You love me well. Like, hey, you give good love. Like, we're on even fields. It's just, now I can't stop looking around. It's not what this life's all about. Our love is here to stay, to stay, baby, you give good love. We all know what love means. <laughs> love thy neighbor fair fine fine <laughs> let's move on so the like the next big hit on the album and, and so here here's one of my complaints about this album there's a lot of filler mm. like there's not a lot of hits that are like you know jump out to me it's like oh yeah that's that's a banger whitney track, yeah you know so tracks two and three you got thinking about you and someone for me uh the next track i want to talk about is number four save and all of my love for you <laughs> i'm sorry what was that save and all my love save so let's get that started. I will agree. There's a lot of filler. In, and even like one of my complaints about this, like every song is interchangeable. They're all about love. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of variety. Yeah. Sort of like, here's your, your love sex jam. Mm-hmm. And here's your other love sex jam. You know? <laughs> I think it's to like ensure that it's like, if you're going to put this, if you're going to put this record on while you're love making, yeah. <laughs> it's like nothing's going to jump out and be out of place. Be like, what? Yeah. What boots? <laughs> these boots were made for walking <laughs> um and you can even see right like we've gone from one song to the other and obviously they're two different songs i'm sure if you've heard whitney you've heard these songs you know they're different but like i'm i have not stopped my sway the beat has not been interrupted it's still in the very yeah. same and so that's it, so one thing about this song is i, I love the vocal range like mm-hmm. she's hitting it she's yeah. she's she's going for it yeah. you know and like there's something like psychological about hearing like somebody sing notes that they physically shouldn't be able to mm-hmm. that's just like impressive yeah like, it's just like oh man i'm a like not necessarily attracted to it you know what i mean no but it's like you have my attention yes exactly <laughs> um but like musically i'm more interested in like music that's dynamic yeah something that changes like a roller coaster right, 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 right. that's the lyric or, so that's the music that that appeals to me this music is just like just kind of like a constant like mm-hmm. beat there's no rise and fall it's just the same thing yeah you know musically no i totally i totally get that right and that's why i think we're so different in the things that we we like because even with this this is just like one of those things that i feel like is comforting i think that i'm sitting here thinking it's like the song is like like a glass of whiskey where it's just like we're not doing too much we're just chilling yeah this is like put the music you put on if you just want to just Chill at home, have a nice, you know, like, have like, I'm imagining, <laughs> I'm imagining like a fire, you know, you mm-hmm. just, you're, the, the room is lit up only by a fireplace, you mm-hmm. know. 
I think the thing that shows our difference, like our different races, like what you're saying is yes, but this is a work song to me, right? This is, it's Saturday morning, the radio's on, you got woken up, and Whitney is playing, so are some other people, mom wants you to clean. This is cleaning music. <laughs> really? Yes, this is just like your, what is that? Wiping. Wiping through stuff, you know, like, saving all my love for you're just spraying down the window and then you're saving wiping the window off with the windex doing some like and that's what it is like this is like as much as it's like chill it is so, like it's also like the same amount of energy that you're ex- expending yeah. so it's just like i'm cleaning the house this is cleaning the house music yeah oh. um so this was the second single for the album the first one was you give good love i guess they were Going before the pop crowd, they were going after the reliable R and B crowd for what they were like trying to, who, mm-hmm. what audience they were trying to yeah. get to buy the album. Um, this was actually not going to be the second single. Apparently, there was trepidation by uh, like the record people because they, this is definitely about sex. I guess I don't know. I don't know what the they just felt like this wasn't a strong enough song hmm. to release for radio, right? But um, one of the record people. Made a friendly waiver. Oh, made a friendly wager with um, with uh, Clive Davis, the uh, the radio, uh, the the record label head. Mm-hmm. He proposed that if all the women got on their feet while Houston while Houston sang this song at the Roxy Theater in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. then he had to agree to release it as the next single. <laughs> and uh, it was released as the next single. So we have to assume that all those ladies were like standing yeah, up and they applauding, were. <laughs> ready to go. I mean, she 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 sang the chorus. You stood up out of your chair and I, had to dance a little bit. I did. It's <laughs> it's an it's an anth- It's very anthemic. Maybe it only resonates with women, but like, there's just something about it, yo. Um, like good love. Uh, would you consider this pretty trashy stuff? <laughs> this is more trashy, considering it's literally tonight is the night that I'm feeling all right. We will be making love the whole night through. I'm saving all my loving for you. Is she? Who's she talking to? <laughs> Not Bobby Brown. No, she wouldn't. I don't think she was dating <laughs> at the time. Um, but no, apparently, and and Houston has copied this. This is a song about a woman singing about a mar- singing to a married man. Oh, she's, she's the she's the affair. How dare you? Yeah. Um, and this is a quote from Houston. She confessed, "I was going through a terrible love affair at the time. He was married, and they and that will never work out for anybody. Never, no way. Never, no so way." So apparently, this was. Uh, I don't. She didn't write the song herself, but it hit close to home. Mm. She, so when she, she sang it, she was singing she, it from this point she of view. She identified, from, huh. yeah, pretty trashy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next song I want to talk about is "Nobody Loves Me Like You Do." I'm seeing a trend here. A lot of love songs. <laughs> Oof, I love that. Though. It's like it's just it's like a, makes make this one makes me want to sway. <laughs> like, Okay, maybe not. Just the music, literally. Yeah, just the, this, the, 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 it's almost like jazz flute, you know, like mm. smooth jazz. Smooth I bet jazz. you, like, I've heard in my life, like, I bet you, my first experience with Whitney Houston is like subliminal. Like, I don't even remember it, but it was like in the waiting room at a, at the doctor. <laughs> you know, like this is this is waiting room music or elevator music to me. I want it, like, I see what you're saying. If there were no lyrics, fine. But I think, I think about, like, in a waiting room, if this was playing, there'd be no chill black people. (laughs) (laughs) It would be up, like... Yeah. um, Be like, mmm, I'm gonna wait while I dance. Get down. So hold hold off a second. 
Who's that? Not Bobby Brown. Nope. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying that. So this is, uh, this song is actually uh, a duet with a certain gentleman named Jermaine Jackson. The, uh, the older brother of Michael Jackson. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, the reason I wanted to focus on this one in particular is because, uh, one, I think Jermaine Jackson is a better singer than Michael Jackson. Ooh. Yeah. Controversial. Um, they, they did some duets in the Jackson 5 back in the day, and I always thought that Jermaine's portion sounded a little bit more, like, smooth than Michael. Yeah, but you also hate children singing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, so, <laughs> well, no, so like Michael has like kind of a falsetto. Mm-hmm. He's a little too high, like you know. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And and he's a great singer, but like Jermaine is like smooth, like mm. chocolate cake. <laughs> is chocolate cake smooth? Chocolate frosting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like pleasant to hear Jermaine Jackson sing. Mm. Um, so Jermaine, just to say where he was at at the time, um, he had left the Jackson Five um, in the late seventies. Right around the time Michael was releasing his first sing, uh, yeah, his first uh, solo album, mm-hmm. right? Um, Jermaine was engaged and married to the daughter of the head of Motown. So okay. when the Jackson Five wanted to leave Motown and do their own thing, Jermaine was like, "I can't. I'm married to their daughter." Yeah. So Jermaine stayed behind and produced albums for Motown while the Jacksons and Michael Jackson went off and did their own thing with a different record label. Um, so Michael is hitting it big with, with Thriller. Mm-hmm. And he's performing with the Jacksons. Jermaine is left behind to help produce albums and do his own solo stuff in the, in the you know... Motown. In the background. So this isn't a Motown. I think he's left by that point. But this is what Jermaine Jackson was doing at the time. So mm. Michael is making it big with Thriller. Jermaine is out here helping Whitney Houston become a star. Yeah. He, he was the biggest name on this album. Good job, Jermaine. Yeah, he helped Helping produce, the little people out. He produced three songs in the album, which include uh, this one, which is uh, Nobody, Nobody Loves, Loves Me, Me Like, like you. you Do. He um, wrote the song Take Good Care of My Heart, which mm-hmm. is he also sang on, and he produced the song Someone For Me. Thanks, Jermaine. Thanks, Jermaine. Without you. I mean, there'd still be... This song actually, but... to me, sounds like a like a Disney... Uh... I was just thinking that. Yeah, like, like this... I almost feels like, can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, this could be like a, Liz- a Disney love song. Lizney? <laughs> I mean, something like you're going to say a lesbian love song. Which, you know, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Disney wanted to take up on it, you know. Um, so that's a good one. And uh, the last track on the album, it's called Hold Me. It is a duet with a certain man named... Bobby Brown? No. <laughs> Bobby Brown is not around yet. <laughs> Bobby not around. Bobby not around. And he's Brown. no good for her. He's no good for her. You know who is good for her? Teddy Pendergrass. Oh yeah, Teddy. So uh, Teddy Pendergrass was a huge name. Like, so I remember just a funny story about Teddy Pendergrass. Oh, oh, so this is creepy. Hold on. This, he's singing to Whitney. He's gonna give it to me. Extra <laughs> Anyway, it's like a very like tender, but like, like yeah, it's like sensual almost, right? Yeah. Like, like, I, like, it's like, like I, am I? Should I be here for this moment? <laughs> yeah, right. It feels very like I. You forgot to lock the door, and I walked in, and I'm like, I'll come back. Right. Could you lock this so this doesn't happen to anyone else? Either way, like uh, Teddy is like 20 years her senior. Yeah. <laughs> um. So funny story about Teddy. Um. 
I was having a conversation with um, an older friend of ours, right? And I, we were having that conversation. It's like, oh, like, what do you what do you think you're good at, right? He asked me that. And I was like, well, I think I, like, I have, like, a good, like, knowledge of, like, music and, like, uh, pop culture, I guess. And he's like, oh, you, you think you know about music, huh? This is an older black man. Mm-hmm. And he's like, have you ever heard of Teddy Pendergrass? And I'm like, I think so. The the correct answer is no. <laughs> but I was trying to... Prove. I was trying to be smarter than I was. Yeah. Um, and and I, I didn't think I was lying at the time. I was like, I think maybe, you know. But he's like, go look up Teddy Pendergrass and the Blue Notes. I look it up and I was like, ooh, that guy's smooth. <laughs> ooh, yeah, smooth. So I was like blown away. I was like, yeah, I'm a Teddy Pendergrass fan now. <laughs> so I just wanted you to bring, me over. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because uh, Teddy's cool and he's you know help, helping a helping a young artist get 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 famous. Was Teddy a smaller name than um... Jermaine? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like. Maybe not as a solo artist, but, like, Jermaine was in the Jacksons. That's they had fair. Like, they had, like, 20 number I'm, one hits. I'm not disagreeing. I was just surprised. <laughs> and it, it, they're, they're on par. Got it. Um, but Teddy, um, so, this song, Hold Me, was not only included on Whitney's album here, it was actually also included on Teddy Pendergrass' solo album in 1984 called Love Language. Huh. Same version. The duet with Whitney Houston. So mm-hmm. Whitney actually featured on that. Right. Which makes sense because he starts off singing this. I was like, oh, that's weird. That yeah. The featured artist is singing first. This is the song that disqualified Houston from the best new artist in 1985 at the Grammy Awards. Oh. She was not qualified for that award because she appeared on this song a year earlier. Ah. Which is like dumb. And the Grammys in general have really weird rules with their categories. What white person won in front instead? I that's a good question. Let me <laughs> let, let me let me look that up. I was like, oh, we're gonna disqualify Whitney. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> what white? <laughs> who beat Whitney for best new artist? So uh, the white woman who beat Whitney for best new artist was Cindy Lauper. Oh, okay. I mean, girls just I- want to have fun. I am not... That is the album that came out this year. That's the album that beat this... Okay. Uh, probably. That is cool. No, it is, because remember we went through the list. Yeah, yeah. So, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. One uh, over Whitney. Um, I am not be. saying Cindy Lauper is not a good singer. I'm not saying that she doesn't have fun songs. I'm not saying that at all. I enjoy Cindy Lauper. What the heck, dude? I'm, I'm looking at this. Cindy Lauper, her first album came out in 1983. Girls Who Just Want to Have Fun was released as a single in 83. How was Cindy Lauper eligible for this award and not Whitney Houston? I'm, I'm so confused. What? <clears throat> the, the, the Grammy gate. Hashtag Grammy gate. This is a... <laughs> this is a she should this be disqualified. Is, this is a travesty. We've uncovered a problem. I love you, Cindy Lauper. I don't want you to think that I don't. I love doing WrestleMania. Gosh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, um, that that's a steal considering that she had songs released before. What also. something stolen from? What the heck? I, I you're upset now. Yeah, so do <laughs> do your research, ladies and gentlemen. Um, write write letters to the Grammy Association. Say we need to reinstate Whitney Houston. <laughs> take it away. Just no. Yeah, take it from her in these hard times. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's hold me. <laughs> Your thoughts on the album as in general? Like, oh. what, yeah, what do you got? 
Um, I think overall it's a nice little <laughs> big album. There's there's bops on it, man. There are things that I, I obviously was singing along to and listening to like that I enjoy that are like stick well in my memory and are good even today. If I like showed this to a teenager who had no idea who Whitney Houston was, they'd be like, oh, ooh, mm, yeah. look at them vocals. It's great. You know, and it's not necessarily like the Whitney people think of immediately, but like, it's great. It is just a whole album of love. Yeah. Like love, it's love, not love, very, love jams. Yeah. It's not very diversified. I think that like, obviously lyrically like everything makes sense and it's nice and it's cute and then also vocally it's very smooth and it does show like all the different places that she can go so i liked it it's is it my favorite whitney album no but it's really good yeah i I was surprised how much i liked it um i it's just pleasant yeah. Yeah, it's like there's it, it doesn't challenge you in any way. Mm-mm. It was just like That's yeah. why you put it on while you clean the house. Yeah, clean the house. Or or, or you know, make whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> whoopee pies. Yeah. Um so <laughs> like yeah, I, I definitely recommend this album. It is pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's a listen great, to it without us talking over it. Go. It's a great debut album. Um yeah. probably one of the best debut albums that I could think I of. I mean, I would have had it won a, a Grammy. <laughs> yeah. It's well it. We'll get there. It won several Grammys. It, oh, okay. it, it didn't miss. Whitney was not snubbed completely okay, that night. <laughs> but um, so the the thing about um, this album to me that sticks out is like it's very eighties with like the traditional eighties sound, which I enjoy. I like I, I like going back then. So it's like if you're gonna pick and choose like an album from the eighties, it's like you want to hear what the eighties sounded like. It's this one. Yeah, I you agree. Eighties R and B specifically. Yeah, you know, with a little bit of pop in there. Whitney's for 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 sure. Whitney. Yeah. So, uh, as far as reviews of the album at the time, the consensus was Whitney Houston has an amazing vocal talent and an amazing vocal range. Everyone agreed on that. Yes. The Rolling Stone said, uh, many of the songs here are so featureless that they could be sung by anyone. They make out what would have been a stunning, stunning debut, merely promising. Yeah. That was like, gotta throw in some dissenting opinions on there. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, so I, I can understand that yeah. perspective. Cause yeah, it's like because like, we were even saying that like she can do a lot vocally, and we opened with a very slow jam. Yeah, so there's a lot of sameness on the album, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah, um, this album was one of the best-selling albums worldwide, as one of as well as one of the best-selling debut albums of all time. It eventually topped the Billboard 200 for 14 weeks straight. Ooh, the 19- whole album or a specific? Yeah, song? The, the album. Wow. Um, generating number one singles for Saving All My Love For You, How Will I Know, and Greatest Love Of All. It made it both the first debut album and the first album by a solo female artist to produce three number one singles. Wow. So good job, Whitney. Good job, Whitney. This was the first album by a black woman to be number one on the Billboard year-end charts. Yeah. Breaking them records. Making them notice. Um, At the 28th Grammy Awards, 1986. She received four nominations, including Album of the Year. She won one award, which was, which was for Best Pop Vocal Performance, Female, for Saving All My Love For You. And then in 1987, at the next year's Grammys, uh, the album earned one nomination for Record of the Year for Greatest Love of All. Mm. Like, record, Album of the Year, I think Record is for Singles, Album is mm. for the Full Thing. And then in 2003, Rolling Stone magazine listed it on the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Uh, so if that's not reason enough to go check this album out, um, I don't know what is. I know. Just put it on when you have to clean your house. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> so we got to 
we got to settle the score a little bit. We've listened to my album. We've listened to yours. Which album won? My album won. Thank you. I concede. Yeah. Whitney (laughs) Houston beat Megadeth. Um, If any of you guys disagree, you're wrong. (laughs) Um, Would you... But you would recommend Megadeth. Yeah. She looks away. (laughs) I I would recommend Megadeth if you like heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. If you like some some Megadeth songs, uh, check it out. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Especially for like a very gritty, early thrash metal sound. Yeah. Um... But, so, we've, we've discussed who won the album of the year in terms of music, but I think with music album, there's something else we need to consider. One of the greatest things about album, like music albums, is the album artwork. Yeah, true. A lot um, of work goes into that. Yeah. So, what we got here is, what we're going to do now is we're going to compare the album art for uh, Megadeth's Killing Is My Business, The Business Is Good, and Whitney Houston's debut album. Yeah. Got him okay, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at uh, Megadeth's album first. Okay. So uh, interesting thing, um, <clears throat> "Killing Is My Business" and "Business Is Good" actually had has two album covers. Okay. So, like I said earlier, he gave them. A Dave piece. Mustaine gave them a, like an idea. Hey, this is what I want the album to look at. I want it to show Vic Rattlehead, the skeleton with sewn up eyes and all that stuff. Um, they produced the artwork, but lost. They lost it. They lost the artwork or, or it got messed up or something. Okay. So they had to hastily throw together something for the album. Ugh. So they created like a crappy clay skull, put fish hooks on it, on the mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it looks terrible. So here you go. Tell me what you see here. Exactly what you said. It's a very much a Yorick skull with um, sitting on a table surrounded by... A chain and a dagger in the table, a candle off to the side. It, it, it with... is legitimately just a crappy photograph. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It is a far cry from the There's comic. No clamps on the ears. Yeah, it's a far cry from the comic book, um, like design that Dave Mustaine had in mind. Yeah. So, um, that's not good. Let me swipe over to the re- reissue. Mm-hmm. So th- um, this is what he was yeah in 2002 for? they reissued the album with new album artwork which is much it's like hand drawn it's much more of like a, a comic book sketchy yeah. version of Vic Rattlehead this makes more sense. yeah it's it's a skeleton yeah this is our artistic artistic yeah um, but we're gonna judge it based on the original artwork mm. which looks like crap yeah uh, Whitney Houston on the other hand excellent beautiful amazing there's orange gradation on it going down from the top it's got a headshot of her in the middle wearing a white toga with pearls around her her head is shaved she is her face is snatched she is gorgeous she's got earrings that i want i'm going to yeah it's a- shoot this i'm gonna like just recreate this video this photo of me i want it it's so it's a, it's a photo of whitney bordered on all sides by like this very soft peach uh border um, and she 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 looks like a like a Greek goddess. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, like a Garden of Eden like look. You know, she's just like looking seductively like into the African camera. Queen. She does look like an African queen. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's a very it's a very classy. It's so classy. Yeah. Um, we, I, I'm gonna wager a guess and say that you're gonna hold this up as like the high mark of all of your album covers. Yeah. Um, Whitney Houston. Um, she's going to set the bar really high and all of the artists that we look at in the future are going to have to 
They're gonna have uh, they're gonna have a, a lot of working like if uphill, you have uphill climb if to you take don't down Whitney. Understand us? I want you to Google. Like, are you listening to this on your phone? Go and Google this thing. It's beautiful. Like, look at these this artwork. It's yeah, gorgeous. It's good. So, again, Whitney not only won album music for for this year, she won album art. She definitely won yeah, album she, art. She, 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 <laughs> Go with that clay skull. Clean sweep for Whitney. Yeah. All right, so that is <clears throat> that brings us to an end of our journey through the music of 1985. Wait, you know what we didn't talk about? What's that? Our runners-up. Oh, runners-up. Sorry, I spoke too soon. What do you got? All right, so um, like we, we talked about in our last episode, um, yes, like we talked about in our last episode, we go through lists of like every album that came out in this year. And so we've definitely listened to more than one album, <clears throat> depending on the year and the person. Um <laughs> Rod, for you, your runners-up were... Yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, Rush. Okay, so Power Windows. Power Windows. Uh, that is a... Rush is a progressive rock group uh, that in the 80s, they were definitely leaning into the synth-based rock. They used a lot of synthesizers, keyboards. Um, Power Windows probably is, like, the most synthy of their albums. <laughs> um, I... It's not one of my favorites. Yeah, but it's... you tend to like earlier Rush. Yeah, like, like towards I, the eighties, you're yeah, like getting. I, I like I like early eighties Rush. I like seventies Rush. So Rush is good. Check them out. Um, yeah. Power Windows has a song called "The Big Money." It's it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> what what else? Um, the other one was "Tears for Fears." Yes, uh, songs from the big chair. Songs from the big chair by uh, Tears for Fears. That one only wins because of the song "Everybody Wants to Rule the World," <laughs> which is one of the greatest eighty songs of all time. But does everybody want to rule the world? Uh, it, yes. <laughs> what, are, uh, what are yours? And here's the thing that you will see very often early um, in this thing. I had no runners up. I legit like hadn't really heard any like other than Sydney Sydney uh, S- S- Cindy Lauper, and only because I've heard girls just want to have fun. Like it was the cleanest sweep. Um, and you'll find this more and more as we go. I just don't listen to songs <laughs> before the 90s. But yeah, when we went back through the list, nothing else like touched it. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna, you are going to see that a-, a lot happen early on with me because I am an uncultured swine. <laughs> she does not have a lot of uh, affinity for older music. Um, and then as we move in through the years, as we move into more recent years, you'll find that I have no affinity for modern music. Um, so look forward to that. We are perfectly matched. So uh, we're going to we're gonna call it a day. You've reached the end of our, our journey here through 1985 music. Um, next episode, we're going to be looking at the television of 1985. Woo! <laughs> um, 80s TV is rough. Uh, it's so rough. For him, I had good taste as I am a kid of the 80s. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to squirm the next few years when we talk about TV. So look forward yeah. to that one. Um, plugs. What do we got? Um hi, I have a YouTube channel, Taming Tales on YouTube where I uh, upload short stories that I write, very short stories and um So yeah, that's Taming Tales on YouTube. Um you can uh, check out some of my other work. I have a wrestling based web show called Keep Kayfabe. That's Kayfabe, K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We explore and critique the careers and characters of professional wrestlers. Um, We're currently doing a very long story arc on uh, Eddie Guerrero. So if you know who that is, Latino Heat, check us out. Lies, steal, and cheat. The family business. 
Yep. They uh, he he loves to lie, steal, lie, lie, cheat, and steal. It's the family way. <laughs> um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Rod the Master. It's at Rod the Master on Twitter. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sign off. We're uh, we'll let Whitney take us out with the song "Giving All My Love to You." Right, saving all my love. Saving all my saving love. all my love for you, Whitney. Take us out. <laughs>